0: Hey everybody, we've got a great podcast for you today because we are talking about certain technologies, certain things in old cars which have gone away, talking about some tech in new cars which uh, maybe we don't like very much, we're also talking about some big news regarding AM radio.
1: Yeah, now you may be thinking of AM radio as something from the past, but there's an awful lot of people who rely on AM radio, and recently there's a variety of
0: automakers who are going to get rid of AM radio. Yeah, and we're also going to answer some of your questions from our Patreon members as well as some questions left on the TFL Talk podcast YouTube channel. So thank you to everyone listening today to this very special episode because uh, my dad is out of town. He's, uh, he's going someplace much warmer than where we are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. He's, he's having uh, right now a coconut. Like, uh, what is it? it what is it? He likes little umbrella
0: drinks. And so <laughs> in a coconut, and he's sipping away right now on the shores of Hawaii. Yes, yeah, so he's going to do some uh, big product reveal news out there, as well as covering the new Toyota Grand Highlander. But let's start out with the headline subject today, because Ford has recently announced that they are phasing out AM radio in future products. And that's a big deal, because AM radio has been a staple in cars since... Uh, Well, since um, nearly the the car was invented. Even before then,
1: if you really think about it in terms of the way people get news. Now, this is a big deal because originally AM radio was kind of going by the wayside with certain companies that built electric vehicles. And their point was initially, well, we're getting rid of AM radio because uh, the electric magnetic... Uh, signature of the vehicle actually interfered with the AM radio. So Tesla, uh, Volkswagen with their IDs, and some of the other uh, companies out there, there's a couple other companies, are, have actually gotten rid of it. However, Ford, when they made their announcement, said they're getting rid of it from all vehicles. And that is where everything started, you know, the sky is falling, and dogs and cats are living together, and things are burning on the ground. So we're going to dive into that a little bit. We're not going to go into the political ramifications, really, but we're just going to talk about what the social ones are and also what AM radio is to some people.
0: Yeah, so in a spokesperson to the free press, Ford says a majority of US AM stations, as well as a number of countries and automakers globally, are modernizing radio by offering internet streaming through mobile apps, FM digital, and satellite radio options. Mm. So Ford is saying that... um, Well, if you read between the lines, that that AM is a dying breed. Yeah. And historically, we have seen that, right? Of course, um, for um, a long time, um, cars were only AM radio. Mm -hmm. Then there was the option for AM FM radio. That's right. Um, And then, of course, we saw the introduction of Sirius radio, XM radio, Sirius XM. But now we see a huge growth and popularity of streaming service, Pandora, um, uh, Spotify, Apple Music, right, coming yep. onto the scene. And um, AM radio is still a very popular source, for talk show um, radio, it is specifically conservative talk show radio. And that Mm. that is just a fact of the matter. That's not us bringing our politics. But that's where a lot of the upset lies in this, is that a lot of conservative talk show hosts still rely on AM to broadcast their stations to many listeners across the country. And it seems to be those folks that are particularly upset about this uh, switch.
1: One of the things about AM radio, and it's been true since the advent of AM radio, is the fact that the signal strength, while not being as robust in local areas, spreads very thin and goes very far, and it can go through walls, and it is a popular thing for emergency services. So, right now, there's a big crisis going on for some people looking at this and saying i am going to be losing certain types of talk radio oh, by the way religious radio is very popular on am mm. and you know political you name it all that stuff yeah that's one side of it but the other side of it is you're also losing the ability to reach out to a large group of people using a band so that is a big question Is there a way to fix that? Is there a way to perhaps have that piggyback on FM or something like that? And then later on in time, FM isn't the same type of signal strength through large walls, through uh, dunes, sand, snow, you name it. AM works a little bit better for that because it's just a different type of band. Anyway, regardless of all that and regardless of the way you look at it, the question is, Is it a good idea to get rid of it from all vehicles? And it looks like that's the direction it's going.
0: Well, yeah, and we'd love to hear your feedback, so be sure to leave us a comment in the YouTube um, um, comments below. Mm -hmm. We're also seeing, for example, this is a a headline that just came out on the Fox Business um, website, GOP reps urge Ford, Tesla, and other automakers to keep life-saving AM radios and new models. The question you have to ask yourself, is it because they care about the 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 potential for AM to be used as a way to transmit information, or are they saying that more because a lot of um, people that support the GOP are into AM radio? So we'll leave it at that. Let us know what you guys think in the comment section below. Mm -hmm. Certainly, um, we've seen it phase off in the past. As you mentioned, Nathan, um, Tesla, other manufacturers have said that the reason that they don't include it in their new EVs is due to interference things of that nature, right? but now Ford is saying we're going to push it further than that and not include it in some new models. And considering
1: the size of Ford, their footprint, and the fact that other automakers may jump on the same bandwagon, I mean, look, every single time you remove something from a vehicle, you can save a little bit of money. So perhaps removing the ability to get AM might be something that may benefit
0: certain automakers, financially, that is. Now, remember um, a while back, um, do you remember when TV across the United States lost the ability to um, receive stations over the air, right. and they went to cable only. Right. I remember when they shut off the over-the-air transmission.
1: That was, I mean, people were burning TVs in protest. I kid you <laughs> not. I mean, they really were. Um, I, I actually lived in an area where people were smashing TVs and trying to you know, make
0: an example of that and showing it. I don't think it really did but, much good. yeah, I think, you know, we've recovered as a society. Yes, yes. You know, and I think now uh, the, the the thing which I'm starting to see of is more people going towards streaming and more people my age not using cable TV at all, only going to... Prime and Netflix and those kind of sources. Agreed. However, just like
1: AM, having something that you can receive over the air, Mm. even in the case of a major emergency where you're losing a lot of services, including electricity, if you have an old television or an old radio, being able to pick up that frequency to get emergency information is invaluable for some. And as such, I can see why some people are really against the idea of having to rely on cable networks and satellite networks.
0: Now, I personally don't listen to any talk shows. regardless of the political spectrum but um, the only reason I'm a little sad to see AM go is because we used to have this old Subaru that was AM only in (laughs) 78 and um, there was one oldie station that plays in the Denver area. AM 1430. Yeah, is that it? But they play almost no commercials. They play almost no hits either but it's like if you want the C and the D sides of some of your greatest and most favorite artists it was actually a really fun way to listen to new old Actually I take that but
1: the the one I'm talking about is really really old. It's like 1950s. Your your dad's high school. <laughs> but it was anyway, the point is, is that uh, also a lot of sports people, a lot of sports goes through AM. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. and there's going to be a lot of people, including some of our staff here, who are going to be breaking things because of that. Uh, AM is the easiest, most efficient way to get various sports things, especially live sports. So that goes away, too. Mm, there may be some people who are going to be... Upset about that.
0: So let's talk about um, some questions we've had on Patreon. Absolutely. So if you are a big fan of the podcast, we can't do it without the support from our Patreon members. And it's, of course, linked in the um, uh, section below if you want to interact with us directly and, uh, you know, ask questions that we will talk about on air. Um, But we have a question here. Um, At TVL, Podcast. I've always been intrigued by diesel vehicles, although I've never owned one. Mm. The maintenance has always kept me away from newer vehicles due to DEF and emissions. Do you have any suggestions for classic diesel cars that may not be as crazy for maintenance? Kind of funny. Someone uh,
1: sitting next to me actually <laughs> owned a Mercedes-Benz that most definitely was diesel. I've only owned one diesel vehicle in my life, and it was expensive to fix, but it was also one of those things where you could get many, 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 many miles out of it, and then the efficiency could be pretty impressive. The whole thing about the def issue, um, I don't really consider it to be that big of a deal. I mean, there, it's not that much money to keep the vehicle going unless you're you know, a professional mm. who's driving 100,000 miles every three months or whatever. But on the other side of it, um, personally speaking... Uh, There's plenty of old Mercedes, Volkswagens, (laughs) even the ones that may have been cheating, Um, uh, even BMWs, uh, mostly German cars, actually, that uh, were diesels, but there was also an American car. That was diesel for a little while, and I thought it was pretty good. Oh, dear God. You remember the Chevy Cruze? Oh, yes. They offered it not only with a diesel, but a manual transmission.
0: I thought you were going to go with the old, like, Oldsmobile 5.7 liter diesel. (laughs) No, no,
1: no, no, no. I wouldn't do that to anybody. I had to live with something like that once. With the, ugh. anyway, no, no, I'm talking about something a little bit more yes, modern. Yes, yes. I mean, that was a great little car for mileage. It was ridiculously efficient, and it was just a simple little four banger, you know. It just, but it did the job. Um, but I believe that was a European-sourced opal um, Mm. diesel, but I'm not 100% sure on that.
0: So in my mind, you kind of have three eras of diesels. Mm -hmm. So you have the old diesels, which used mechanical injection, and that is to say they essentially had a little pump bolted to the side of the engine that was not controlled by electricity whatsoever, and that pump would time the squirt of diesel into the combustion chamber Mm -hmm. um, on its own. And those diesels are very simple, very durable. Think like old Mercedes diesels. Then you have newer diesels like early 2000s that brought in electric um, uh, injection pumps and you know were much more sophisticated got much better efficiency delivered much cleaner emissions but didn't quite have the urea injection the DEF injection that the new ones have right and then the third generations of new diesels which are all electronically controlled with the DEF injection and all that now i love the the gen one diesels as i'm going to call them now like the the Twelve valve Cummins diesels, the um, old you know, suzu, suzu used to have diesels. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, the old Mercedes, very simple. The issue with those is they're very, very dirty if you care about that kind of thing, and they're also typically extremely slow. So like an old Mercedes diesel, even a turbo is gonna be like a twelve to fifteen second zero to sixty.
1: Yeah, it is a real issue. Most vehicles that are diesel that have a turbocharger on them, unless they are modified. Tend to be
0: a little bit slower than your average internal combustion gas car. Right. But, but. there is a good era. I'd I like that kind of middle ground where they brought some electronics into it. So Andre had like a very early 2000s Golf TDI.
1: Yes, he loved that
0: car. And he had um, 300,000 miles on the thing, never fixed it for any reason. I I (laughs) mean, he probably should have fixed some of the things, but it just kept chugging. Yep, yep. Um, Yep. So those
1: are good, too. They are indeed. Uh, And then if you're looking, once again, for more modern vehicles, there were a few, which all of which were really starting to build up some momentum. And then dieselgate happened, and it absolutely killed the smaller internal combustion diesel market in the United States. Uh, Once again, General Motors with theirs, I believe... Um, Mazda was supposed to bring one out and brought it out for like (laughs) half a year or something like that? That was ridiculous. The CX-5 diesel was around for like six months. (laughs) It was just, and then gone. Uh, And there were a couple others in that period. And those are really good because they were super efficient, very, very clean. Even though they were chugging diesel, you used uh, low sulfur diesel, you know, shell or whatever you can get it. And those things were not puking out particulates like the old ones were, not at all. So very interesting cars. Hard to find Jetta diesels, you know, all of those. And once again, leading up to dieselgate, once that hit, almost everything died. It's game over. Yeah. Yeah,
0: it's game over. So there you go. Some great options if you do want a diesel-powered vehicle. Thank you for your question. Our next question comes from Travis about auto four-wheel drive transfer cases in new trucks, Jeeps, and Broncos. Uh. So his question is, um, for you or Tommy, is if you could really put a stress test on one of these auto four-wheel drive transfer cases. From my research, it seems most of these systems are controlled by a center electronic clutch that mm. can somewhat easily slip in scenarios like deep sand, mud, recovering a stuck vehicle. As far as I can tell, only Ford has a solution at this time in the Raptor with his transfer case physically locking in any other mode than a four-wheel drive auto. All the other vehicles with auto four-wheel drive will vary power in auto and provide 50-50 torque split with a center clutch electronically locked. Um, Have you guys heard of this? What we're talking about is in a traditional four-wheel drive, you've got two high, four high, four low. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the new systems now have an option for four-wheel drive auto, which isn't simply black and white on or off. It'll actually send a little bit forward and back depending on the situation. Now, what has your experience been with these systems?
1: There's a variety of different types of systems that are out there. Um, And the more primitive ones essentially would just send power to the front wheels, you know, they were a pickup truck or, you know, SUVs, and they'd send power to the front wheels when they detected slip. But it wasn't quite as easy as, say, a regular all-wheel drive system. There were a lot of moving parts that actually had to engage in order for that to happen. And in most cases, there was a clutch of some sort or clutches of some sort. But there are other ones that actually worked with vacuum systems, viscous coupling, whatnot. And it's really important to keep in mind that some of these systems were almost completely mechanical, and some of them were electronic, so they all had their pros and cons. Some of them also used a little bit of braking from the ABS system to actually force some of the power up front. So there were a variety of different systems. The best system in my mind is some of the earlier, believe it or not, Subaru systems that were out there that were using, and other companies used them as well, viscous coupling. Uh, Usually on manual older Subarus, say, uh, mid-2000s to 2010 and so, they worked great. They were just such a simple system. They were bulletproof. Um, Other systems, the more technically advanced they become, the more questionable, you know, is whether or not they're actually working. And then, of course, regular 4 by 4 systems, which I would prefer as a truck person. And then I add the system on my, um, my Hyundai, which it does the job, but it's reversed. Yeah. Front-wheel drive then sends power to the back. Bottom line is that all-wheel drive systems are very different than the systems that are used on trucks where you are dialing in an all-wheel drive setting, so to speak, or auto, it's not really all-wheel drive, and it's usually,
0: in my book, not as quick to react. So, I mean, it, it's, it's not like the old days. So, um, one of the most famous all-wheel drive systems is a system called Haldex, right? Mm-hmm. And the way the Haldex system works is it was front-wheel drive, until the computer detects a variation in wheel speed between the front wheels and the rear wheels, so essentially the front wheels start slipping, and then something engages and the rear wheels start moving. Um, now that system, especially in the older like Audi TTS, right? The Volvos too. Volvos exactly had a reputation for not being very good because you had to spin up the front wheels before you'd get the wheel speed transfer. The new systems, though, as you talked about, Travis, are going to be controlled via clutches in the center. Mm -hmm. And it's not quite as black and white as that, because you might think when you put a a new Silverado in a four-wheel drive auto, it's rear-wheel drive, then it slips, and it's four-wheel drive. Well, Andre just talked to the engineer in charge of that system, and what he said, and I didn't know this, actually, is that the system is never fully engaged, and it's never fully disengaged. So if you are accelerating at a stop, even in dry conditions, it's going to send power front and back cruising along, it's gonna send power front and back. Now it may not be 50-50, it may be 10-90, 30-70, but it's always sending a little power forward and back. Now the big deal on these systems, and I think what you'll find is they're known for being quite reliable. So when I first learned about them, I'm like, that's gonna fail, that's gonna break, because it's a clutch, and when I think of clutch, I think of wear. That is somewhat true, but if you stay up on the maintenance and you stay up on fluid changes, they can last an insanely long time. I've seen older GM products with hundreds of thousands of miles still in the original transfer cases, still cruising along, but you gotta keep up with the maintenance in the system.
1: We had a Cadillac Escalade, an old, uh, first generation uh, Escalade, I believe. And we took it off road and beat the crap out of it. It was not meant to do that. Uh, It was Andre's vehicle in a, uh, what was it, no payment, No no, no payment needed. The SUV challenge. That was it. Go big. And fun series, by the way. And that system, it worked like clockwork, um, as I think it was properly maintained, uh, which is absolutely to Tommy's point. Another thing to keep in mind is that these systems are evolving over time to become more and more efficient. So it's entirely possible that you may see reductions in the amount of power that's doled out to the front end because they're trying to maintain some form of decent MPG. These things are beginning to happen if they haven't happened already. So you need to check it out. High-performance vehicles like the Bronco, or, sorry, Bronco, well, you got yeah, Bronco Raptor, uh, but like the Ford F-150 Raptor, all of those vehicles, they're going to have a much more intense system um, because mileage doesn't matter to them as much. But your everyday pickup trucks that do have auto settings, I'm pretty sure they're going to be more efficient in the future because they're going to pull back a little bit on their intensity.
0: Now um- – uh, the thing about clutches, too, is that they get kind of a bad rap because people think they're slip always. But, for example, like a rear locker in a Defender Land Rover mm-hmm. um, is actually a clutch-based locker. But the computer can apply something like 4000 1000 pound feet of torque under that clutch 5,000 squeeze it up to the point where it's not it's not slipping at all It's just a, basically a fixed object at that point So I think that it's not something to be scared of if you're buying used make sure it's been maintained if you're buying new Make sure to maintain it, but um, yeah, it's, it's uh, the, the, the stuff out. There's getting really good You know, yeah. it's not like it used to be in the old days No, so Nathan Let's go down our list of some old features which have left us from new cars and trucks that we wish would come back Absolutely. Now,
1: we did throw an AM radio. So for some of you, I'm sure you're going to agree that that should probably come back. And I wanted to go to the next one, which is from my childhood. And that is what some people call the smokers window (laughs) and what is actually a port window. Not only did they exist in pickup trucks back in the day, but they actually existed in cars. And that's a little wing flap that could open. Some of them were electric and actually went down separately. But for the most part, they were. You would take a little knob and pop them up. And what it would do, aside from people who were smoking, they could ash and everything as they're driving, is it also allowed a little bit of ventilation in the car where you didn't have to drop the windows and have the buffeting effect. Mm. And I thought that they were great back in the day.
0: And it's kind of a shame that they're gone. And for people who are smokers out there, I'm sure they uh, miss it as well yeah I mean the the little vent window right that little triangle that would fold out of its way by the a pillar was a great way to allow fresh air in as you Mm -hmm. mentioned without necessarily getting the interior cabin cold so you didn't have to put down the window you didn't get that crazy buffeting noise Um, you just got a nice little breeze through the cabin honorary mentioned too to like vents in the cowl that you could pop up yeah you know with your foot get fresh air in through through the windshield yeah
1: yeah yeah, that which is going way back when they started building those Um, and the next thing on the list is a proper parking
0: brake yeah what do you what do you mean by a proper parking so
1: brake? an awful lot of people out there who are sick of electronic parking brakes they want to be able to either grab and pull or shove their foot down on the floor maybe even some people are missing the umbrella style uh, parking brake <laughs> but there, there are people out there who really want a manual park brake they want to feel it engaged and
0: know that their rear brakes are locked yeah now um, the, the trend to electronic parking brakes it's been going on for a couple of decades. Mm. And the primary reason is that they're much smaller for interior packaging. That's part of it, yeah. You know, so like an old-school handbrake, right, you got to have a large portion of the center console devoted to the the, the lever and then also where the lever would stow away. Whereas of a button or a switch, you can put it wherever you want on the interior. It's not dependent on cables. You can uh, build cup holders around it, right? Um, and then it's also um, uh, something you can control with the computer. So... Uh, Recently, in the last, I'd say like five, seven years, there was a gentleman that was run over by his Grand Cherokee. That Star Trek actor. That's right. Yeah. Remember, and he and, played and, Chekhov. Yeah, he had the. He thought he had his transmission in park, but it was in neutral, and then the vehicle rolled into him and crushed him. Yes, it did. So ever since that happened, we've seen a lot more um, involvement of the parking brake. So very few cars now with an electronic parking brake will actually let the vehicle roll with the door open. That is correct. You would have to actually apply your foot onto
1: the brake in some cases to disengage. In other cases, the door itself will actually stop the car from moving. And in other cases, you have to have the car in drive, apply your foot onto the parking brake before that system will shut off. And finally, some of them, none of that will work. You actually have to physically turn off the parking brake and they will automatically engage when you shut the car off. That is where the trend is going.
0: Now, um, some people you know, dislike that, right, because they want to maybe move in their parking spot, open the door, see where they're, they're positioned. Mm-hmm. But I think in other ways, it probably does save lives, right, because people are forgetful. They forget to put their car in park. You open that door, that parking brake clicks on prevents the car from rolling into the baby behind you, or whatever it may be. Absolutely. And that goes right to our next one on on this list. Before we go to the next one, we're going to take a quick ad break. Ah, ad break time. Quick ad break before we get into our next topic. We don't know what the ad is, so so it'll be a surprise to us. But uh, here, we'll we'll
2: play it now. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. All right. That break was done. a
1: surprise, Tommy. Wow. Well, great advertising no for what diapers it was. or asparagus. <laughs> or- <laughs> it could have been anything. Um, <laughs> Men's help. You Men's know, help. Um, so we were talking about parking brakes and whatnot. And let's move on to gear levers because that's something that's disappearing in many cars. And they're, re- they're going to buttons and little tiny sliders and whatnot in order for you to get into gear. And for some people, like me, actually, I, I really do not like buttons. I much prefer a gear lever, something that I can grab and engage and put into a gear and know that it's actually clicked into that gear I don't care that it takes up a little extra space, personally speaking. But some of you guys do prefer having push-button transmissions.
0: Yeah. um, You know, push-buttons, once again, like the Edsel had push-buttons. Cars in the 40s and the 50s had Mm -hmm. push-buttons with (laughs) varying degrees of success. My brother's Plymouth
1: had push-button transmissions. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was terrible. (laughs) Well, you actually pushed one, and then your finger went all the way in. And I've actually seen that happen on TV with other people.
0: But a lot of the thing with push-buttons, right, is that um, people... um, um, you know, it, it's easier to package a push button than, once again, a, a lever with uh, arms and cables going off of it, yeah. right, because it's all electronic. Now, I think there are companies that do electronic shifters better than others. Like, I think the Ford one is pretty good, because, like, in an F-150 or whatever, it feels like you're engaging.
1: I really like that one, yeah. Even though it's it's artificial, it still makes you feel like you're getting into gear. Uh, Ram can do that as well. They have it on their higher-end trucks, the GT and their uh, TRX. Oh, yeah. But all the other ones with the knob, I just don't like. Them. You don't like the knob. I'm not a knob guy. Ten
0: years after the knob. Came I know. Out, I know. It's
1: just you yeah. know what? It's it's doing like a three point turn and stuff like that that really bugs me about it. Otherwise, it's not a big deal. It's still
0: not a knob guy. The thing about the band. electronic shifters, same thing. If you are in drive open the door, a lot of them will actually go click 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 and then go back into park. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you ever seen Andres' F150? Yes, I have. The column shift. It's the weirdest thing. On Andre's old F-150, hundred and would open the door, and the actual column shift would move by itself. Yeah, it's... Remember, part of the reason is they're not just trying to be electronic
1: nannies. This is liability that they're trying to dodge. So the bottom line is that they are trying to find a way to prevent
0: you from actually killing yourself or others, uh, and more importantly, getting sued. No, I... I would say so, like um, certain buttons are better than others. Mm-hmm. GM buttons are pretty good because you can like grab underneath them to move them around.
1: Yeah, I'm not a big fan.
0: You're not a fan of the GM yeah. ones, really? No, I don't like the b-
1: I just drove a car called the VinFast VF8, and not a spectacular car, but it had these really big buttons for the uh, gear exchange. I mean, each one of them was about the size of a silver dollar, right? Okay. And I didn't think it was a terrible idea, and then it dawned on me later on, oh, wait a minute, they're all exactly the same shape. <laughs> and I could just see myself accidentally going into reverse instead of drive or whatever. But uh, all of the button ones for me, I, I, I sometimes have to... And I've driven some of these cars for many, many, many days. And I look over and still have to look and see. When I had a gear lever or a column shift, I'd be able to put it into gear. I pretty much knew from it, my instinct that's in drive i can go mm. you know what i mean there's something about that that's that's a, a
0: analog touch to it i wanted to ask you about that vf8 ah so vinfast brand new company from vietnam mm-hmm. i think a lot of people thought they would never make it into the us oh yeah they're here yeah nathan just went on the us press launch of this new electric crossover Yes, that's right. And the particular one, the
1: VF8, competes directly with, you know, the Mustang Mach-E and uh, even the Tesla Model Y. And uh, there's a video review out there. There's actually several, but uh, the one that we did is on TFL now. And the thing about this vehicle, and I don't want to, I could easily take up the whole broadcast talking about what this vehicle, the positives and negatives. Honestly, more negatives than positives. It is a pretty good first effort considering this company, the, the VinFast Name didn't really exist before 2017. Mm. And they started by building internal combustion cars, and then when they decided, no, we're going to electric, on that day, boom, they stopped and they moved on to electric. So VinFast is part of the Vin Group company. Vin Group, think of them as a mixture of Tesla. With uh, Walmart, Disney, and (laughs) huge, you know, uh, land developing companies and whatnot. And you're kind of in the right zone.
0: Didn't they start by making noodles? Wasn't there like a... Uh,
1: Carpets, I think. Carpets. I think it was carpets before. And it just expanded. They do stores, hospitals, universities, uh, property, theme parks, cars, uh, you name it. And they go bigger and bigger. Similar to Hyundai as well in terms of their scope. So... Mm. Yes, they are uh, based in Vietnam, and uh, they're coming to the United States, and they're building a plant in North Carolina that will be open and producing vehicles by twenty twenty five. So fast, yes, yes, and well, the whole VinFast thing—they have like several dealerships already open in California and throughout Canada, and they're about to go nationwide. They're working to make that happen. Thing is, the VinFast isn't quite ready for prime time, uh, at least the VF-8. There's some quality issues to it. In order to make it plausible to be a competitor, it also is kind of expensive, and that's another problem with it. So once again... What's the cost? Uh, between forty nine and $59,000, depending on which model you
0: get. And what's the range? Do they have a range?
1: The range? Uh, yeah, they go up to about 250 miles, just under that, um, on their one uh, Eco model, but they're... I mean, they have a 75.7 kilowatt hour battery or something like that. You'd think it would do better. Um, Is it fast? Very. Yeah. It's uh, 403 horsepower. So it moves really, really well. And it actually handles pretty good. There's no feedback in the steering. Mm. So there's there's like all these pluses and there's a lot of minuses too. Um, And I think that with their first effort, probably not going to do a whole lot. But by the time we see their second and third effort, they may be competitive. So... I'm gonna reserve my judgment
0: towards what they'll do with future product until I actually drive them. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting, what I appreciate that VinFast has done is when you hear the word new car maker, You typically think like, well, it's going to be some cobbled together kit car thing, right? Um, They really have spent a lot of time building this car from just about the ground up, right? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of other manufacturers' involvement in this. No, no. They got designers from all over the world,
1: including Pinaferina, they have American designers, they have Asian designers, European designers, all working on this car. Is the infotainment, is it like, is it its own thing? The infotainment system is the issue, really, for me. Okay. It's about the size screen of the one that's on your computer. I think it's 15.6 inches. Yep. And the entire car is pretty much controlled through that, similar to Tesla, but Tesla has a much better way of doing it. The system itself has quick example rather than go through a whole podcast. Okay. Imagine, if you will, that you want to actually control your side mirrors and make them do something like, I don't know, go up and down so you can see behind you. In order to do that, you have to go into the screen, go through a few selections, get to a point where you actually tell the car, ah, I want to fix the left mirror. You click on the left mirror. Then you have to use your steering wheel control, which is One side, and it's this particular control, and you can make your mirror move. Mm. Now, let's say you want to fire up your steering wheel and actually make it conform to your body. Well, you could do that as well. Same process. You have to go through the screen several times to get to the steering wheel, tell it that you want to move the steering wheel. Then you go to that control that's actually on the steering wheel. And again and again and again with that. And there are a million nannies yelling at you from this system. And we tried desperately as I was driving to shut them all down. And we still couldn't shut them all down (laughs) the entire time we drove the car. However, uh, many of the issues that the car had, if you read old reports on it, uh, have been resolved. It is very powerful. We had no problem going under 50% power and maintaining full power. Um, uh, Handles good. uh, Not top-notch quality. I would say it's like early Tesla quality at mm. best.
2: Okay. Um, Interesting.
1: Yeah. And there's, there's just, they have potential. But at the same time, there's an awful lot of people out there who immediately are just going like, yep, nope, no good. Right. And so I'm not going to throw it completely under the bus because for a first effort, I will give them credit. But that's about as far as I'll go with it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Fair enough. So anyway, should we go to the yeah, next? Yeah, let's uh, keep going. Okay. So the next one is a cigarette lighter. Okay, so why why do you miss this in new cars? Well, there are a lot of people out there who are smokers. I, I smoke cigars. I don't smoke them in cars, though. And um, back in the day, for those of you who don't know this, you could actually get this little device that you actually push in, and there's a round thing, a cylinder, and you would shove this thing into the cylinder, push a button on it, and then it would pop after about eh, 10 seconds or less. And then you would have this burning ember on the end of it that you could actually burn things with or light a cigar or a cigarette with, okay? Now, if you're not a smoker, you could use this for self-defense. I've seen it in a movie. (laughs) So, (laughs) I I thought you know, some people actually kind of miss that. And I think for the most part,
0: unless you order certain specific vehicles, you can't get it anymore. Well, the other thing people like about the cigarette lighter is that you can use them for power. You yep. know, if you just want to power, you know, your phone or whatever, a tablet or or radar detector, or whatever, you could plug into the cigarette lighter, the, the the receptacle, and then use that 12 volt for power. Which
1: is, they still have them in vehicles, but there's no longer the, the cigarette, compo- the cigarette, yeah, that that component to it. So it's uh, some people miss it. You know, I actually fixed a car using that. Did you? I kid, <laughs> you, I kid you not. I had to um, I had to resolder something. This was a long time ago, and I had to try to fix a connection on my old Camaro. Because something was wrong with the fuel injection, and it was frayed. The wiring was frayed. So I had a loom of uh, solder that a friend gave me, but I didn't have a soldering iron. So I used the cigarette uh, um, uh, lighter as a… Oh, as a
0: soldering iron. Yeah, as
1: a soldering iron. It it, it worked horribly, but it worked. (laughs) So I can say, honestly, you can use it for auto repair. Let's move on to the next one, though, which is something I think you're going to like.
0: Okay. Power antenna. This is a terrible choice, Nathan. Yes, you love that. Hey, so power antennas, <laughs> right? You could, um, uh, you put them up and down with the radio on and off. You have to put them down before going to car wash. Oh, and yeah. they Break. I just, I've never seen them last. They always break. They
1: almost always do. It's, and it's, it's, it's for stupid reasons like the car wash or. I saw one guy break one because he forgot it was on his car and he was trying to cover it. He was taking care of his car. Oh, no. So he actually had, like, the whole cover. He pulls it on and he snapped the, the thing as he was pulling it back. Yeah. They're supposed to go down when the car is shut off. I, I thought they were kind of cool back in the day because it was, like, one more
0: automated thing. And like, oh, it's <laughs> the future. But, you know, some people might miss that. So nowadays, antennas are like in the little shark fin or they're built into the windshield. Now, the windshield one I thought was cool until I had one break, like Uh, a windshield. And mm -hmm. then it was so expensive to fix.
1: Yeah, that's right. It absolutely would bump up the price of your windshield. That and also heating elements and windshields and all that. same thing. Yeah. So the next one on here, uh, because how far are we going to go with powered antennas, is door handles. Oh, geez. They're starting to disappear. They're becoming (laughs) flaps and ejecting paddles and stuff but a good old-fashioned door handle that you actually reach in and you pull up on or pull to the side or push a button and it actually activates mechanical components that opens your door. Those have been around for 100 years plus and now they're getting rid of them because it's better to have a bunch of servos kick in when you pull a lifeless paddle or something. Right. And I really, that is something truly I miss. Uh, Door panels are going to be sad when they're all gone.
0: Well, and the thing is, you have like a couple different types. You have like the the ones that pop out on the outside. Mm -hmm. You've got the buttons. Mm -hmm. You've got the ones that look like handles, but are actually just hiding a button. Yeah, a paddle Um, or
1: a thing inside, yeah.
0: And then on the inside, you've got all sorts of buttons and and other versions. Now, um, on the inside, you typically have to have a mechanical override too, right? Just Mm -hmm. in case there's a failure. Now, I think the reason that we're moving toward electronic door handles is probably cost. I think, you know, an old school fully mechanical system, you need a lot of extra linkages and levers to have the door locks operate. I would agree, but the odd
1: part is in order to have the safety precautions that the door will open if you lose power, you still, need you still that. have mechanical, you know, this little tiny hidden That's flap true. that you have to still open and it still will unlock the door. So I've it's I, i heard that argument before, and also another one is that uh, it prevents the doors from opening up into people as they're walking by or okay. riding by on a bike or something or opening the doors in a traffic. And I get that as well. However, I have these things called eyes. And th- they don't work <laughs> great anymore, but they still work. And I can actually look over my shoulder, look in the mirror, and make sure I'm not opening the door into traffic and killing anybody. Oh, another one, aerodynamics. Mm. So a lot of
2: manufacturers yeah, tell
1: you uh, they had to hide them away. God. Because they're more aerodynamic. Yeah, I hear that one as well. I do prefer the standard pull on something. Me too. And you know what? There's an awful lot of door handles out there that are still pretty flush with the car. Sure. Or, and barely pop out. So anyway, the that's... One,
0: the one that kills me is like they, they have to go through so much engineering to make them work in the winter. Mm-hmm. So like the Mach-E, the rear doors in the Mach-E have this little button that you push, which unlatches a door. But then they have to give this lever that pushes the door outward in case it's covered in ice and can break through like three inches of ice. Yeah. But that's important
1: because back in the day, Teslas were having a problem in snow. And there were other electric vehicles that were having a problem when they were covered in snow and ice. And Mm. so this is a precautionary thing that Ford did, which I think was actually pretty intelligent. But all that extra work to open the door? Just give me a handle, man. Yeah, I agree. Um, The next one is CD and tape players. So you miss CD and tape players. I don't necessarily. I know old people who do, though. (laughs) (laughs) You know the last vehicle that I know of? that has a CD player. What? I, you gotta guess this, we just had one. The Lexus GX. That's exactly it. Still had yeah, a CD it player. still has a CD player in it. And Lexus was the last automaker, or name brand I should say, to lose uh, cassette players too. The tape player. That's right, they had a tape player and they were the last ones to have the tape player in it. Back in my day, everybody had tape players and then everybody had CD players and all that stuff. And I get it, You know, there's plenty of reasons to not like them. But it is something that some people really do prefer still having. If they have that old CD that they want to play, and they don't want to rip it and put it on their phone or whatever, there's some people who still want a CD
0: player. Now, the thing about um, the the tape player, which I liked, especially in the modern era, is if you're shopping for a used car, right, Um, new cars have Bluetooth audio, which Mm -hmm. is great. You can stream your music. Um, Go back a few years ago after they lost the tape player, only CD, If you don't have an aux port and you have a CD player, no way to really listen to your radio. You're absolutely right. Without a Bluetooth transmitter. Whereas if you have a tape player, you can use a little adapter. Which I've I've done done before. And I love that adapter. yeah, Yeah, and those things work great. Uh, I mean, well, great is, you know,
1: they work, I should say, but um, you're absolutely right. But fortunately, it is easy. There's like FM things that you can do where you pull the cable out and shove it in there and you can actually go have your Bluetooth, you know, piggyback on FM. I've done that as well. Uh, But yeah, some people still, you know, miss having the ability to use their old CDs and you know, I gotta be honest with you. I probably have three, maybe four hundred CDs. Yeah, you do. Yeah, I got like these massive uh, notebooks full of CDs. Both my wife and I have combined. It's if you stack them up, it's about this high. These giant, this high meaning three feet high. If you're not watching, <laughs> um, of, of just CDs, and I don't know what the hell to do with them. I just, I got a gazillion of them. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. one thing I will say though is, like, um, a tape player from 1980 and a tape from 1980 will still probably work. Whereas a phone from nowadays and a foreign from 40 years from now, probably not going to work. <laughs> That's a really good point. Now, Nathan, before we keep going, let's take one more quick pause for one more ad break, and then when we come back, we'll finish up the list. Gotcha. And we're back. All right. So next on the list, um, do you have
1: anybody else, by the way, from our uh, Patreon that you wanted to read Oh, out? yeah. Uh,
0: read off the next one on the list. No, okay. I'll find some more here. Manual transmissions. Manual transmissions. Now,
1: we can't officially say, because they, they, there's no embargo on this, that Toyota is keeping the manual transmission at least this upcoming year for their upcoming new Tacoma. It's already been announced. They've already shown the picture of the three pedals, meaning that... There are still two pickup trucks that will have manual transmissions, at least for the foreseeable future, the other one being the Jeep Gladiator. But otherwise, if you're looking at cars that have manual transmissions, the list is mighty small.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Now, um, I've read a story recently that we actually have gone up in manual transmission a little bit. rate for like the first time in 50 years. Yeah. It went from like 2% to like 2.5 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, It's one of those things where people people love manual transmissions, but then so few people actually go out and put their hard-earned money on a new one that the automakers are having a hard time kind of justifying it. That's right. Now, one of the automakers that actually went and added
1: after they subtracted was uh, Mini. Mini actually brought in a couple of their models that uh, they ixnayed the manual transmission on, and they brought them back. And you can see that story on tflcar.com. there are other companies that are only doing one car as a manual transmission. A really good example of that would be Ford. It's just their Mustang. It's the only thing that... Ha- well, no, no, no. I take that back. The Bronco has a manual Bronco. transmission Yeah, they still well. have it. Yes, they do. So they have that. And then you go to Chevrolet. Well, they're going to get rid of the Camaro soon. The Corvette does not have a manual transmission. So I think you can do the math there. Not a whole lot going on. Their new Colorado does not have any option for uh, manual transmission. And the list kind of expands and contracts from there. So the good news is, once again, we're actually a little bit on the upswing. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that some people out there, millennials and whatnot, once they get a taste of a manual transmission and realize how much fun it is, and they really are fun, and the direct control and the connection you get with the car... They think to themselves, hell yeah, I wanna do this. Also, it's a great security
0: device. What do you think of this new discussion of uh, like what Toyota's been playing around with? Oh yeah, yeah. Manual transmission in an electric car. Or a hybrid. Or, or a hybrid, hybrid. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: I think that's fantastic. I think it'd be a lot of fun. I think what Toyota's looking at right now is keeping the fun in the game. Because no matter how much fun a Corvette is, in my mind, it'll be a lot more fun if you could actually row through your own gears. I'm not in the minority either. There are an awful lot of people who agree with me, even if they don't drive manual transmission vehicles. So there's different schools of thought on this, like perhaps we can build these electric and hybrid vehicles that have a manual transmission of some sort so you maintain the fun, the entertainment while you're driving. By the way, if you have a manual transmission, in my mind, less of a chance for you screwing around with texting and all that other stuff as you're driving. You're a little bit more involved with the drive. That's My take on it, at least. Now,
0: what would you tell people that would say, like, well, in an EV, you don't need a manual transmission, and it's less efficient, and it's going to be slower? Yes, it is currently. That would be absolutely true. In fact, we even
1: drove an EV... That had a manual transmission
0: many, 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 many years ago. Oh,
1: yeah. Remember that uh, Porsche, the fake 356?
0: Yeah, so when you convert an old car to a new car, Uh uh, or to an EV, a lot of the times you'll leave the manual transmission in, and then you still have the option to go through a few gears. Mm -hmm. Now, most people would stick it in second and leave it in second because of the torque band, but
1: you can technically shift. Which is what we did with this really old one, and then later on, of course, with uh, Jeep Wrangler, that uh, we've driven several versions of it now, of the Magneto, and that has a manual transmission, and it's electric. It's doable. Uh, Perhaps they'll reinvent the way the system works, but I really do like the idea of them looking at it at at the very least.
0: Uh, Let's bounce up to the next one. This is a real quick one. I got one more question for you. Go for it. From Patreon. I'm going to screw up your name. I'm sorry. It's Ognjen Ivonovic um, says... Hey, somewhat unrelated question. I don't hear you often comment on sports. I know Nathan loves NFL. Are yeah. you maybe watching and supporting Denver Nuggets in NBA playoffs? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a Nuggets fan, really. But <laughs> my
1: kids are. My kids are. And they're totally supporting them. Even my wife. Supporting them. 100%. Me, no. I'm you a good. Lakers fan? Yeah. I grew up in L.A., so I have to be a Lakers fan. It's required by law. Um, but, but... Uh, we do follow a lot of other sports at TFL. We have one guy who is a diehard Avalanche fan. And then we have another guy who anything from Philadelphia is... Well, uh, another guy? I don't know how to cloak his name. Alex, our man Alex. He is 100% Philly to the core. So if it's Philly, he, he follows them.
0: Uh, yeah, very much so.
1: Yeah, and uh, yeah, we have plenty of baseball fans. And I think there's even a lacrosse fan running around. Uh, Tommy, I think you're probably into what, um, or basket weaving? Or yeah, something boring. Yeah, you're, exactly. really, you're not into sports that much. Yeah,
0: big into crochet. Um, <laughs> so a, a comment, we have another question for you. This is from the TFL Talk podcast a couple weeks ago. Nathan, what do you think of the Chrysler Pacifica versus the Toyota Sienna and Honda Odyssey? That's a really good question. And I've been lucky enough to drive all
1: of the new ones recently. And I'm going to tell you right now, in terms of a bargain for what you get for the tech, The Toyota Sienna with all-wheel drive is the way to go. It gets amazing gas mileage. The all-wheel drive system has been vastly improved. It's an electric all-wheel drive system. And it is, in my mind, a superior modern convenience. However, if you want fun driving fun, more entertaining driving, I should say, (laughs) the Odyssey is still the way to go. It outhandles the other two vans by a large margin. And it is still pretty damn powerful. And it's a good van. Finally, Pacifica. There are more choices with the Pacifica than anything else. You can get an all-wheel drive. You can get front-wheel drive. You can also get the hybrid, and the hybrid is very efficient. Unfortunately, they do not offer an all-wheel drive one, and you lose a little bit of seating because of where the battery location mm. is. Uh, so there's not quite as utilitarian as perhaps the competition. However, I like the Pacifica's presentation, but I think they're a little overpriced. My choice, if you ask me right now and if I had – uh, grandkids, I guess I could say, at my age now. Uh, <laughs> if I had other children to worry about, I would probably choose the Sienna. Mm. Sienna's mm. All-wheel
0: drive. Sienna at yeah. the top, huh? Mm-hmm. I don't like the way
1: it looks, but I like the way it's built.
0: Yeah, it's really well packaged, too. Yeah. That's right. I would go for Pacifica because of Stow & Go. I love Stone Stow & Go. is
1: really good to have. And it's just a, it's a shame that the uh, the hybrid. hybrid doesn't do that because, of once again, the batteries. But the regular Stow & Go, which they they perfected, is fantastic because you really get a flat load floor. And you can put so much stuff in that vehicle.
0: I mean, those seats, I don't know what kind of physics defying magic they've accomplished, but those seats just disappear. Completely. And they're completely gone. Yeah. I mean, there is a bit of,
1: you know, you have to do a, lot, a little bit of yoga and some stretching in order to actually get these seats to go <laughs> in there. But once you do, it's quite good. Uh, but you know, with every positive, there's a negative. The one thing that Chrysler did, or Chrysler, I should say, um, Stellantis, I suppose, uh, they actually With Stow & Go, still we're able to maintain all-wheel drive. Now, this is something they couldn't do at first. Mm. The first generation of Stow & Go, they had to lose their all-wheel drive option. The newer ones, they have that. And the all-wheel drive system works fine.
0: That's good. Yeah, Yeah, it's fine.
1: All right, Nathan, let's keep going with our list. Mm. All right, we're almost done. Um, So we're at bench... Seats. Oh, yes, I do miss bench seats. Mm -hmm. Now, now bear in mind, we know that some trucks still offer them on their base models. I mean, even our uh, Stubby has a bench seat. However, how many cars can you name that have bench seats in the front?
0: Defender. Defender. That's about That's it, it. it? Yeah, yeah it's which is so I, funny. Yeah, But yeah. Defender, I mean, uh, what's cool about bench seats is it's a good way to fit more people in the same amount of room. Right, right. And for you younger people out there, there
1: are other things you can do with a bench seat. <laughs> Just saying. Um, but no, the reality is, is that bench seats, the one negative is that everybody is kind of constrained by the tallest or the shortest person. Mm-hmm. So let's say you have a really short driver and you're a very tall person trying to sit in the front seat. Life ain't so good. Now, I know they had split bench seats. That's kind of cheating because, yes, okay, you, you know, two different seats move two different ways. <laughs> but that's no longer really a bench seat in my book. A bench seat is one solid thing, right? I never thought about the short driver in the bench seat. Yeah, I, my funny. sister is basically a dwarf. And in order for me to ride with her in old cars in the day, I basically had to sit uh, cross-legged. <laughs> it was horrible. Oh, no. Yeah, she was tiny. Um, so anyway, uh, the bench seats, some people are, are, are missing them. And I agree. Something that Roman and I miss, I don't know about you, though. Pop-up headlights.
0: Well, they're cool, right? They're cool. Hideaway headlights, and, and they were big in the States in the 70s and 80s because um, we had regulation on high, how how high off-the-ground headlights had to be. Right. So, like, a lot of Japanese cars had them. And they just looked really badass. They were really ba- really bad for aerodynamics. Yeah, when they popped up, they were pretty awful. And they also broke. Yes. Um, but that was such a cool thing to have, like, change the look of your car by turning the lights on. Exactly. And if a car looks cool with
1: the headlights up and down, that's a plus, but... If they do a really cool dance to open the lights and close the lights, even better. And for those of you who don't know what an Opel GT is, I highly recommend looking it up. They were not fast, but they had the coolest flip sideways lights you've ever seen. And they were like baby Corvettes. And then, of course, Corvettes have the some of the, uh, like the one that... Um, the C4, yeah, yeah. Just like a back double flip in order to open them, I think is the coolest thing ever.
0: Yeah. I'm um, Not super practical, but I agree. Nah. It would be cool to see a modern interpretation, see how some of these creative designers can maybe get involved and come up with cool ways to bring that idea back, because it was pretty neat. It was indeed. Now, this next one your buddy brendan came up with and
1: i agree that this is something that some people are going to miss or have missed what do we got hood ornaments oh jeez. now bear in mind that they still kind of exist but they're flat and what he's referring to are the ones that stand up and i can only think of one manufacturer that actually has one a rolls-royce i don't even know well rolls-royce does have one but also maybach oh yeah yeah theirs sits up proud and huge uh, Rolls-Royce, you're absolutely right, they still do. And I don't know, I think Bentley does too.
0: I don't know. Uh, so Rolls-Royce does something interesting where it retracts into... The big issue with hood ornaments is that if you hit a pedestrian, they end up with a hood ornament on their forehead. Or they steal the thing and run away after they've been impaled. Other good, other good points. Right. Um, on the on the Rolls-Royce, any sense of movement and the thing sucks down into the car... It's actually really cool. At like 100 miles an hour, it goes whoop! Um, which I think is people thought it was only for theft prevention. I think a lot of it was down to safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's a thing that really distinguished a car out on the road.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, I grew up with my dad's caddies and Lincolns and whatnot with the big proud ornament, you know, standing up on the hood. And it, Mercedes and whatnot had them, and it was, they were kind of cool, I guess, and some people do miss them. Eh, you know, For me, it's just like I, I can recognize an old car versus a new car based on the hood ornament, but yeah. that's easy enough. And the final thing I had on my list, at least, yep. real tailpipes. Real tailpipes? Functional ones. Okay. If you think about it, certain German companies, and there's actually some other ones, yes. are getting rid of them, or putting fake ones on their cars. Yes. Howdy, we're looking at you. Big thing now. Really, really big thing to put fake tailpipes. I cannot stand it. Just put a piece of plastic on it and say done. But don't make a fake one. And I mean, actually round little things right there, and there's actually nothing there.
0: Yeah, it's pretty horrible.
1: It is truly horrible. So (laughs) I personally, you know, it's like, if you're not going to go real and have big ones sticking out, which, you know, still kind of emotes power, or if you're an electric vehicle, then just... Don't don't do it. Just don't put out a fake one, please. Yeah. Stop it, guys.
0: Yeah, Thank it you. does look bad. I agree. And mm. I think we're going to look back at this once we go to EV. They're going to be like, wow, that was a terrible era. Yeah, that was a really bad idea. Fake tailpipe
1: era. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's, it's happening right now. So keep that in mind. Almost every Volkswagen you look at with the exception of like a GTI or the GLI or whatnot, yeah. almost all of those also have fake pipes or, or like a plastic cutout that looks like a an exhaust thing, and it's not. It's not. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, guys, let us know what you think of our list. Do you have one more, a bonus on
1: there? I... Well, that was the bonus, actually. Oh. But there, well, there is one more. Okay, I don't want to be. Cruise control. <laughs> for Andre. <laughs> <laughs> so I, okay, so he, Andre's not here to yell. Um, Andre's uh, truck, that is brand spanking new, doesn't have cruise control on uh, it. How could they not have cruise control I, I on a brand know. new truck? How could you not make it standard for a thing that starts in the $30,000 zone? Oh, it's gosh. just insane. So, yeah, some cars don't come with cruise control. I mean, what is this, 1983? I mean, come on. So, yeah, um, that actually is something that some people are going to be irritated by. Andre is reminded by it daily, and I'm thrilled because I just thrive on human misery sometimes.
0: Well, folks, let us know what you think (laughs) in the comments section below. Thank you for listening to another podcast episode here at TFL Talk, and we'll be back next week. We certainly will. Take care, guys. Thanks for watching or listening.
2: At Parker, our purpose is simple.